The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Welcome to The Christine Uptrich Show here on 1150 AM KKNW and Transformation Talk Radio. If you're listening in the Seattle area on KKNW, you're looking at some darkness. It really isn't nighttime, folks. It's just cloudy. Perhaps you're somewhere else in the world listening where you've got sunshine and warmth. Our guest today is experiencing both. Um, But before we say hello to her, I want to say hello to the man behind the technology, Mr. Benny Mathers. Good morning, Benny. Hi there, counter neighbor. Counter neighbor? Counter we're around. Oh, yes. It's a huge counter. It's almost like... It's it's like it's much than deeper than seen, a, right? yeah it's much bigger than a kitchen counter. In fact, it's probably about the width of about four or five kitchen counters. Definitely would not have this size in my house. It's just too impersonal. But for the yeah. show here, it's, it's perfect because we can have multiple guests in here. Yes, indeed. And lots of elbow room. At the same and time. and plenty of <laughs> monitors. I've never really fully understood what you do with all those monitors back there. It's all for show, really. Oh. I only use one. Okay. <laughs> you know what they That's, say. Yeah. <laughs> You can tell it's your Friday. You it know? is, right? Do I have like less than an hour? Oh, and I have to finish up my Halloween outfit, so I'm kind of in, in the head on that. What are you going to be this year? I can't tell you. Oh, I'll tell you off air. Okay. That's Because it's good. my little thing. It's my little tradition. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And you're always winning the awards for best costume. As, as the last shows this uh, last week, I've been uh, saying yes. I am the current back-to-back first place title holder yes. for the company here. So I'm going for a three-peat this, this year. Excuse me. <clears throat> so I'm looking forward to it. So here at Hubbard Radio, yeah. we've we've got an the, it, annual, yeah. you know, event. Vote, event and vote for competition and, is always fierce. It is, and there's some yeah. amazing costumes, mm-hmm. and you have been winning. I've been there. I, I've I've won it three times in like uh-huh. the 17 years I've been here. So uh-huh. that's yeah. those aren't bad stats. They're not bad stats okay, at all. So. I can't believe it's towards the end of. I October. do have some pictures. I'll show you some pictures. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. You know, I'm really grateful um, the guest we have today is Christy Hugstad, and she's the author of Beneath the Surface, A Teen's Guide to Reaching Out When You or Your Friend is in Crisis. And it's, it's pretty interesting because um, we're going to hear more about Christy's path to, to having this passionate desire to help people um, with clinical depression, help people prevent, like, suicide. Um, But back in 2012, her husband committed suicide after years of suffering with clinical depression. And we'll let her tell us a little bit more about that tragic event. And she's become a certified grief recovery specialist and and a grief and loss facilitator for recovering addicts at South Coast Behavioral Health down in California. And um, she's also the host of the Grief Girl podcast, and you know, she's written this beautiful book about how we can help teens who are suffering, and many of these concepts can be applied to anybody in our lives. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Christy Hugstead. Hey, Christy. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to have you here. And, yes. you know, reading about the story that was sort of the motivation for you to help others so incredibly tragic. Could you share with our listeners, um, you know, a little bit about it, not just like the end event, but what led up to your husband's exit? Well, my husband, Bill, had been suffering from depression for a couple of years. And right up to the time of his suicide, it got so dark and so deep. And You know, I was really focused on fixing him. I wanted the man that I married back. Right. Um, I I didn't want to own the fact that he had major depression or a mental illness. And I just thought, if I can find him, that right psychologist, psychologist, 
church counselor that right magic pill. Uh-huh. That's all I needed to do to get him back to who he was. Mm-hmm. So I was making appointments nonstop and coaxing him to get in a car and go to different mental health care professionals. And, you know, all when I look back, I think the most important thing that I can tell your listeners is that all of those warning signs and risk factors of depression and suicide, mm-hmm. they were all there. There were all of these red flags waving in front of me. He was isolating. He was withdrawn. He would talk of suicide almost on a daily basis. Wow. Uh, he wasn't sleeping, so changes in eating and sleeping patterns are mm-hmm. a huge warning sign. Uh-huh. He also had two grandmothers who had a suicide attempt. So family history and genetics also are a risk factor. Right. So all of those things that I write about in my book were there with my husband. Mm-hmm. And I will honestly say that I think that I also bought into that stigma of mental illness, and I didn't want my husband to be sick. Uh-huh. So instead of, you know, just being there and being compassionate and reassuring him and doing what I can to elevate his self-esteem, uh-huh. I made appointment after appointment. And so there finally came a time, and, and just so that you know, he never owned his depression or uh-huh. said, Christy, I need help. Wow. And I think for, you know, a period of time, he was just kind of going along with that pro- with the program. Uh-huh. At one point, he had taken a bottle of Ambien, a bottle of sleeping pills. Oh, my goodness. And he had left a note on my kitchen table that said, Christy, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm a burden to you, and you would be so much better off without me. Love, Bill. Oh, no. And after I found that, that note, I also heard the shower running. And so I ran into the bathroom, and I said, Bill, what, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I just have insomnia. I can't sleep. And, you know, there's also part of me that just doesn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I don't know to this day if he actually took all those pills right. or if it was a cry for help or attention. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I guess it doesn't matter. Because whether it was a cry for help or he actually took those pills, he needed help. Mm-hmm. And so I was able, with the help of my sister, to get him in the car and take him to Mission Hospital. Mm-hmm. And they put him on a 5150 hold, which is a three-day involuntary suicide watch. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that three days, the psychiatrist said, you know, Bill, what, what were you thinking? Why did you take all of those sleeping meds? And he said, I was just tired of not sleeping. And he asked him, you know, those important questions. Mm-hmm. Were you trying to take your life? And he said, no, I just couldn't sleep. Hmm. And I think part of it is just the shortage of beds, and there really isn't enough facilities or, or mental health professionals, you know, to accommodate everybody that comes to the hospital and is put on a 5150. They just released him, and we were back to square one. Wow. And so about three weeks after that is when he went down to the train tracks, and he had called his father that morning and said, Dad, you know, I, I'm in trouble. And his dad flew from Houston, Texas, to San Diego, California. He mm-hmm. boarded a train from San Diego to San Juan Capistrano. And his son, Bill, mm-hmm. had been corresponding with him throughout the day and agreed to pick him up at the train station. Mm-hmm. And so when Bill Sr. was on the train, right before he got to the, the train station, there was a four-hour delay, a mechanical delay. Wow. And then later he learned that that was not a mechanical, that it had been his son that had run in front of that train he was on. Wow. So he, so he not reached only, out for help, and his father was coming to help, and he, right. he ended up stepping in front of the train. He ran in front of that train that his father was on. And I think, you know, I think it's really hard for people to understand. He loved his father, uh-huh. but he did not want to go back to Texas. He's always said, I will die before I go back to Texas. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave here. And I think he thought that that would be the end of his life, if, you know, like he was starting over. Mm-hmm. He would go back. He wouldn't have a job. He wouldn't have a marriage. I, I don't think he, I, I think he just couldn't bear the idea of starting over. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't so much about wanting to hurt his dad, it, you know, and, and so many people say, oh, that was so selfish of him. But, it, you know, for those of us with a healthy brain, mm-hmm. you don't understand where somebody's head is when they're in a really, really dark place. 
Yeah. And it's not so much that they want to die. It's just that they want that emotional pain to stop. Mm-hmm. And they can't find any way out. Mm-hmm. And so that's when they decide, you know, this is my only option. So how did you find out about your husband's death? Well, the night before, he had been acting really strangely. And for the first time in my life, I was actually scared of him. He was accusing me. He was paranoid. He he was blocking me in the bathroom and not letting me out. And so for the first time in my life, I was actually afraid of him. Uh-huh. So I, sa- I said, Bill, I, I don't know what's going on, but I, I, I'm afraid of you. So I went to my sister's, which was about 20 minutes away, and I spent the night there. Uh-huh. And then I found out when I came back to Dana Point. So I was gone uh, throughout that night and into the next day. Mm -hmm. And his mother had called me from Texas, and he said, Christy, there's been an accident, and Bill's been hit by a train. And I thought, what? Mm -hmm. And in, you know, in, uh, I really thought, I don't think there's been an accident. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I know he was not in a good place emotionally. Right. And there really is no place in this area to have an accident. You know, the train tracks are in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's a crossing and you happen to, you know, not hear or see the red flashing light. Yeah. So my immediate thought was, you know what, hopefully he was in his car and his vehicle will pre- prevented him and saved his life. Mm-hmm. That, that was that little ray of hope that I was hanging on to. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that isn't what happened. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the engineer couldn't stop the train in time. He saw him. No, right? and, you know, uh, there were witnesses. You know, they were, the local Orange County Register did a big article on that because it was a public suicide. And, uh, unfortunately, I read it, and there were lots of witnesses, you know, people coming down to the beach area to check the surf, people that lived across the street from the train tracks. And they said... That he, and, and and this is also something that that I kind of mull over and over in my head. There were witnesses that t- saw him pacing back and forth in front of the train tracks for about twenty minutes. Mm. And so I'm thinking, you know, he probably was thinking, should I do this? He was probably mm-hmm. trying to get up the courage to actually go through with it. Right. And then I guess he disappeared down into a little ravine, you know, right under the train tracks, and he waited for that oncoming train. And then when he heard the whistle and saw the train approaching around the bend, I guess he scrambled up to the tracks across all of these rocks. And he stood right in front of the engineer with his arms outspread like Jesus on a cross. And I guess he just looked the engineer in the eye with his arms outstretched. And, you know, it was the engineer was, you know, helpless at that point because he ran up in front of it right when the train approached. And your, so, your you life know, would never be the same. His parents' lives would never be the same. And that engineer's life would never be the same. No. I mean, and, and all the passengers on that train, too. You know, they yeah. sat there for four hours. There were hundreds of emergency vehicles. Nobody knew what was going on. And, you know, they started to put two and two together because all the passengers, friends and family that were picking them up at the train station uh-huh started to call and text and say, this is not a mechanical. Yeah. There was a, a man that took his life in front of your train. We have to go to a quick break, but when we return, um, let's talk about what you know now that would inform somebody in the same situation that you had been in um, to help somebody who is on the edge, who is suicidal. Stay tuned for more with Christy, uh, Christy Hugstad here in just a few moments. The Vibration of Change. That magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On the Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. 
Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. If you struggle with fear and anxiety, you know how powerless and stuck these emotions can make you feel. You've tried everything, but nothing helped you overcome these blocks. Dr. Friedman Schaub, award-winning author of The Fear and Anxiety Solution, created a special program which helped thousands of his clients to become healthy, happy, and confident again. Learn how to eliminate negative self-talk, let go of your emotional baggage, and replace limiting beliefs. With Dr. Friedman's accelerated program, you can break through your challenges. Visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. For centuries, spiritual traditions have talked about how humans have an energy field, or aura, surrounding them. Although skeptical scientists refuted this for decades, science is now beginning to catch up with spirituality. Scientists can actually measure light emanating from living beings, so they can measure the human aura, which in scientific terms is known as the biofield. Many medical practitioners around the world use an instrument to evaluate a patient's biofield for the purpose of diagnosing illness. They understand that imbalanced or insufficient light in a person's energy field indicates a physical or emotional problem. The good news? There are ways to balance and increase your light, resulting in greater well-being. For more information, please check out StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. How many times do you find yourself saying, It was nothing. Next time someone tells you, great job, you'll know how to accept it and not deflect it by listening to Courage to be Seen Radio with host Sherry Clark. Sherry Clark is an experienced global engineering leader, coach, and mentor. From her experiences one-on-one coaching to corporate consulting and executive coaching, Sherry has learned many women need at least three things to discover and face success. Learn about the ACES program, how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com, and listen to the first Tuesday of the month at 11 a.m. Pacific with host Sherry Clark. You have the courage to be seen. See you later. Welcome back to the Christine Eptor Show here on KKNW in the Seattle area and Transformation Talk Radio around the world. You know, Christy, it's such a tragic story to hear about your husband getting deeper and deeper into clinical depression, you jumping through all sorts of hoops to attempt to help him, and he ends up taking his life anyway. Um, First of all, can you share with our listeners some of the signs that somebody is really seriously considering suicide? Well, there's lots of different warning signs. And just so that that your listeners understand, they don't all have to be present for somebody to be in a state of suicidal ideation. Uh, For my husband, there were almost all of them. And there are occasions when it's just an impulsive act Uh and there were no signs. But, you know, I think for the most part, most of us who have had a, a loved one die by suicide, when we look back, they were there. Something was there. Uh-huh. So the giving away of prized possessions, the saying goodbye to people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with that, there'll be almost a change in, in, in mood, like almost a euphoria where they've already made up their mind. They have a plan uh-huh. and they're good with it. So they don't seem depressed. So a, a loved one isn't going to really see that as a sign. Right. The withdrawal is huge. The isolation, uh-huh. the lack of interest in activities or social events that they once used to enjoy. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go anywhere. They just want to isolate. Right. Um, the, the sense of hopelessness. The, um, just think of it as your loved one becomes somebody that you no longer recognize. Mm-hmm. And I will speak from experience that I would look at Bill and think, who are you? What happened? Uh-huh. There is nothing about you that resembles the man that I married. Wow. You seem numb. You don't seem to care about anybody or anything. Uh-huh. And you have that such a deep sense of hopelessness that you don't care 
about getting out of bed. Mm-hmm. Everything is an effort. Um, so, you know, those are some of the the really, really prevalent signs. Mm-hmm. For teens, it's skipping school, declining grades, the stomach aches or the headaches that you can't explain. They go to the doctor and they're fine. But mm-hmm. those stomach aches and headaches are caused by the stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so they're very real. So for kids, you know, then also they're isolating, withdrawing, they're on technology, they won't come out of their room. They have a change in their friends. Mm-hmm. They start hanging out with different kids. They turn to substance abuse, to drugs and alcohol. And again, your child starts to become somebody that you no longer recognize. Right. And and it's a little confusing as a parent of a teen because I I think that a lot of teens go through a stage where they do withdraw into their room more. They 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 want the separation from the parents. So how do you kind of determine if it's just sort of normal teen teenage angst and 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 you know this development into autonomy and depression? Well, that's a really good question because you're right. There is a point in their adolescence where they are trying to be more independent and they're going to start pulling away from their parents and their siblings, right? And, mm-hmm. and their peers are now the focal point of their life. So you're right, that's normal for teens. But when it becomes a serious problem is when their behaviors start to change in noticeable ways. You know, like I said, they no longer are themselves at all. Uh-huh. So look for that change in friends or look for signs that they are using drugs or alcohol or they're not going to school mm-hmm. and their grades are slipping. So along with, you know, it's not just pulling away for their parents. There's a whole slew of other things that will be telltale signs that your child is slipping into a depression. Mm-hmm. They'll turn to things like drugs and alcohol or self-harm. Are they cutting themselves? Are they wearing long sleeves and long pants even in the summer? Okay. You know, mm-hmm. are they taking steroids? Are they, you know, are they um, making, you know, excuses for not getting things done? And just lack of interest in things that they used to be interested in, mm-hmm. not wanting to be involved in sports or drama or things that they used to have a passion about. Right. So all of those things, you know, are real warning signs mm-hmm. that your team is in trouble and needs help. Okay, so you talked about steroids, and I know that that was a, a key piece of your husband's development and ultimately perhaps towards depression. Um and I know that these days, teens and, and those in their 20s, particularly males, at least talk about it. They've got at least one friend who has done it or does it. Um, why is that problematic? Well, you know, the long-term effects of steroids are just starting to come to light. There are a lot of bodybuilders from the you know 80s that have died because of, you know, brain complications and so the long-term effects are just starting to be recognized, you know, as a death by long-term steroid use. Mm-hmm. But what's happening now in our schools is that it is almost impossible for men and women to compete, even at the junior high level, without sports-enhanced performance-enhancing drugs. It's mm-hmm. a wow. real part. It's That's... a real part of our culture. That's terrible. And not only that, you know, it's a it's a real, you know, you, you know what goes on in the Olympics and uh-huh. all the, you know, um, steroid testing and there are ways around it. I mean, people are pretty smart and they, they know how to pass a urine test. But not only is it the men in the sports, like the football and the wrestlers, uh-huh. it's happening in women's athletics. That's the biggest growing number of steroid users. Oh, my goodness. And I think to a lot of people's surprise, there's also what we call mirror athletes. These aren't athletes. These are not um, um, girls and boys that are in athletics. These are people that are taking steroids so that they look better in the mirror, mm. that they're more attractive. Right. So, you know, that's, that, again, there's a real stigma, and it's not as out in the open. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a mom that, was, uh, that I was working with in grief recovery, and, and she said, you know, I was so relieved to find out that my 13-year-old son wasn't using drugs. He was just taking steroids. 
Oh my goodness. And and so to her that wasn't drugs. That wasn't using drugs. Yeah. You know, it was just steroids. You know, so there's a lot. Uh, there's a real lack of information out there um, as to the long term effects. And you know, they they change your your child's behavior. They mm-hmm. become a lot more aggressive. You know, if you look at their upper backs or their face, they, it becomes oily and breaks out. Uh-huh. Their voices are deepened. So there's a lot of warning signs of that too. Right. But I think that uh, there's a lot of people out there that don't think that that's you know that's such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because when um, when my children were young, they had really bad asthma. In order to keep them out of the hospital, if they developed a bad cold, we'd have to put them on oral steroids for five days, and it was it was a godsend, right? But to see my young child's behavior change dramatically, I mean, like you know, wouldn't sleep, would be sort of almost literally bouncing off the walls, and um, you know, just like hungry and just like very different personality it was it was quite illuminating well you saw that in in usage after five days can you imagine somebody that's been using it uh, you know long term no especially you know once they've passed puberty because there there's more testosterone at least for boys and so that probably adds to that that picture of um the aggression and and that shift in personality well, yes, and, you know, my husband used steroids. He was a competitive bodybuilder starting at age 19. So, you know, bodybuilding is basically a steroid contest. Uh-huh. You can't compete without them. So, you you know, the winner, it's all about the dosages that you're taking to get the biggest growth that mm-hmm. you possibly can. Right. And so then what was happening with Bill is he was tapering off of it. He was still using at the point when he died. But then, then there are things that start to not be in balance anymore like he needed probably to take estrogen blockers because his estrogen levels were going up Uh his muscle mass started to shrink you know and now suddenly for the first time in his life he was turning and pop into probably what you would call an average man Uh and that did a number on his self-esteem he did Uh not like who he was becoming because the steroids were creating an imbalance all across the board you know, in his in his uh, chemistry, and it was affecting his muscle mass. Wow. We have to go to a quick break, but when we return, Christy, let's chat about um, how those of us who are observing this kind of decline into depression, possibly towards suicide, what we can do to help a loved one. Stay tuned for more with the author of Beneath the Surface, Christy Hugstad. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. Years ago, when facing cancer, without any immediate treatment options, I sought healing by making various life changes. For a while, I followed a very restrictive diet. I often found myself obsessing about which foods were good and which ones were bad. Then one day, I realized I was consuming foods based on fear, fear of not getting well. But I didn't want to make choices out of fear anymore. I decided it was far better for my immune system if I allowed myself to experience the joy that came from, say, eating frozen yogurt, than it was for me to ingest the fear that came from avoiding it. Now, instead of choosing healthy habits based on fear, I try to make choices because they feel right and ultimately bring me joy and ease. How many of your healthy habits are really based on fear? Please visit StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Calling all moms, it's time to awaken your vibrant, intuitive, loving self in every area of your life. Join host Debbie Pokornik as she shares thoughts, stories, and tools to help you stand in your power. Listen to Vibrant Powerful Moms Helping Everyday Women Create Extraordinary Lives, Mondays at 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. For more information about Debbie, visit empoweringenergy.com. That's empowering with letters N-R-G.com. Right now, ask yourself, how far are you from your dream? Are you closer today than yesterday? Entrepreneur and personal coach Deborah Rothschild brings the wit and wisdom to transform you into a new dynamic you. Tune in to the Deborah Rothschild Show, developing a dynamic you. To learn more about Deborah, visit thedebrashow.com. That's the D-E-B-R-A show.com. Tune in live every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Is traditional medicine not working for you? 
Do you still feel as if your health isn't 100%? Here at the Holistic Medical Center, Dr. Nushin Darvish and the qualified staff look through the dimensions of wellness and start a healing plan prioritized to your needs. Our physicians assess the whole you until complete health is achieved. Get the help you need by visiting drdarvish.com or call 425-451-0404. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show here at 1150 a.m. KKNW in the Seattle area and Transformation Talk Radio around the world. Today we are talking to author Christy Hugstad, author of Beneath the Surface, a teen's guide to reaching out when you or your friend is in crisis. Now, Christy, I know that you've got this background where you were living with somebody who's had clinical depression. You've talked about some of the signs, some of the changes in behavior, both with adults and teens. Okay, so let's say we see it. What do we do to help that person find their way out of depression and keep them from, um, you know, completing suicide, as you put it? Well, I think the most important thing is to let that person know that you support them, that you're there for them, that they matter, and you're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So you are the heart with ears, and when you develop that level of trust with them, you can then hopefully take them to an appointment to a mental health professional where they can get help. Uh And don't just say, I I, I think you need professional help, because if I had done that with Bill, he would have never gone on his own. That wasn't where his head was at. Uh So you make the appointment, you pick them up, you drive them there, you sit with them, you make the next appointment, you take them home, you make sure they're safe, you make sure that you're the person that they will reach out to and that they trust you. So follow through on that. Mm -hmm. And that's so important because just saying, you know, wow, you're scaring me. And I really think that you need to go talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. That's, That's almost counterproductive. Right. So instead, say, you know, I really love you and I care about you and I am going to make an appointment so that we can go together and talk to a mental health professional and start you on a program and get you the help that you need. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes that person feel loved and, it, and like they matter uh-huh. and that somebody really cares about them. And I think when somebody is in that dark place, their self-esteem is so low yes, exactly. that they need to know somebody is there for them no matter what. Right. And you're not buying into the stigma, so neither should they. Okay, so you've talked about this stigma a couple of times. Can you speak to that a little further? Yeah, I think part a big part of the reason why people don't reach out for help is because they think they buy into the stigma they think that they're weak there's something wrong with them they feel shame Uh and they don't want to own that so our society has made people feel people with mental health issues feel like they're they're they should be institutionalized you know that's what used to happen Mm -hmm. or locked away so for for decades there's been that stigma of mental illness you're crazy you should be locked up in a in a in a uh, straitjacket, right? Right. So that is the stereotype and the vision in films and movies from long ago that's still kind of prevalent today. Mm-hmm. So, of course, when that's how we present mental illness, nobody's going to want to be a part of it. Right. So if we 
start to educate everybody, adults, teachers, parents, kids, that mental illness and depression are diseases just like cancer, Uh and they need treatment and they need a professional, then people will feel a little bit better about reaching help, reaching out for help. Uh If if, let's say your daughter, your son had cancer, mm-hmm. would you say, well, you know what, why don't you just go to bed for you know a few days and, and see if it goes away? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? right? I mean, you would say, okay, let's go to a, a cancer specialist and find out what treatment is best for you mm-hmm. for your disease. And that's exactly how we should be approaching mental illness. Let's go to a mental profession, mental health professional. And find and and figure out a treatment plan for what you're experiencing, mm-hmm. right? So that needs to change, and the stigma is coming from years of this notion that mental illness is something that you should be ashamed of, mm-hmm. and that's why I wrote beneath the surface. So these kids grow up knowing that that's a health, that's a normal part of life. Mm-hmm. We all experience times when our brain is not functioning properly and we feel depression or sadness or we feel like we can't go on. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a normal part of being human. Right. And if we start teaching our kids that it's okay and it will happen, you will have issues with your emotional and mental health. Right. And it's okay. And there is help and there is hope. So how does person find hope? How do they find hope. help? Hope. Hope. Okay, well, when you acknowledge the fact that mental illness is a disease, that is what gives you hope for a brighter future because there is treatment, right? Just uh-huh. like if you broke your arm, you will have hope that one day your arm will heal and you will be able to play baseball again, mm-hmm. right? right? So when you know there's a treatment for what you're going through, whether it's emotional, mental, or physical, that breeds hope. So the first step is to acknowledge that mental health issues are diseases, and diseases can be treated, Mm -hmm. and treatment breeds hope. So I'm thinking about how, you know, we've, we've gone through the stage of stigma, and I'm thinking that on the flip side of that is there's a, a general acceptance about depression, not in terms of, okay, it's an illness that needs to be treated, but a lot of people experience it. I think that they're probably, based on what you say and based on my own experience, there are people who um, have been raised in a family and they get depressed, but one of their parents was depressed as well. It's the sort of thing where it seems kind of normal. So. How do you, like, shake people out of this acceptance of, like, okay, long-term depression is just a normal part of life because life stinks, you know? Right, but what you just said is that, let's say you're living in a household and the parents, you watched your parents stay in bed for a week or two, and uh-huh. you've seen them be in a, in, a, in, a, in a depressive state. And there is a genetic component to that. So instead of just saying, well, that, that's life, life uh-huh. is dark, you know, and don't just brush it off to that's, that's a part of life because it doesn't need to be. The, the different way to look at it is that, you know what, maybe there's a family history here mm-hmm. and maybe I have a disease, you know, just like other physical diseases, there's a genetic component. Right. So mental health issues is also, there's a genetic component to that. So look at it differently and say, you know what, I, my mother, I remember as a child, she didn't get out of bed for weeks at a time. Uh-huh. And she'd bring alcohol in her room and she'd drink all day. You know, that doesn't make it, oh, okay, well, that's how life is. You know, that's just life. Right. You, you should look at that and think, you know, maybe I'm predisposed to this because I remember as a child, one or both of my parents experienced the same thing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm going to get professional help and break that cycle. Yeah, yeah. So, um... I really want to talk about what teens are facing these days and how it's different. I want to have a little bit more time. We're going to go to a, an early break here. So when we return, Christy, you've got some wonderful insights about um, how teens are facing a different kind of environment these days that's, that's more you know, anxiety and depression inducing. And um, you've got some great advice about um, you know, how, how we can help shift that for the teens in our lives. 
Stay tuned for more on The Christine Upchurch Show in just a few moments. Have you been seeing numbers like 111 and 222 everywhere you go? Do you feel that the universe may be trying to get your attention, perhaps offering a message of some sort? As it turns out, numerical patterns and certain types of geometry form the very fabric of our reality, from cells under a microscope to the astronomy of our night sky. At Stellar Reflections, we offer special sessions which tap into these patterns, designed specifically to support you on your journey. The 111 and 222 activations are sessions activating new patterns in your energy field, which in turn can help you create new patterns in your life. After just one session with a practitioner, either in person or via distance, clients report gaining greater clarity, becoming more intuitive, and honoring their inner truth as they move forward in their lives. Curious about what these transformational sessions might do for you? Call 425-999-9836 or visit StellarReflections.com. That's StellarReflections.com. Are you willing to challenge everything you've been taught about life and death? Join Angie Corbett Kuiper on her hit show, Beyond Grief Radio. Redefining loss and grief as Angie shares through choice, present moment awareness, and keeping an open mind that creating anything is possible, even in death. Tune in every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information or to listen to past shows, visit AngieCorbettKuiper.com. What is a brilliant culture and how do we create them? Why are they important? Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you align your culture with your business strategy for exceptional results. Looking for a culture that drives organizational excellence? Listen to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the second and fourth Friday of each month at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit culturalbrilliance.com. This is Peggy Snow, practitioner at Stellar Reflections with a Stellar Reflections Minute. So many people these days are trying to find ways to relieve their stress. What happens to our breathing when we're feeling overwhelmed and stress? When we tune in, we realize that we're either holding our breath or taking very shallow breath. To signal the body that all is well, which most of the time it is, sometimes all that is needed is a nice, deep breath to break the cycle. First, exhale to get all the stale air out by engaging the abdominal muscles and blowing gently. Next, take a nice full breath in, feeling it fill your body all the way down to your hips. Release fully and enjoy the freedom of movement. Notice how your body feels. Do you feel refreshed? Calmness is only a breath away. This has been a Stellar Reflections Minute. For more information about what we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Welcome back. Um, you know, Christy, before we go any further, I, I, there's so much more I want to talk to you about, and I know we're running out of time. I want you to share with our listeners how they can connect with you. What's your website? My website is thegriefgirl.com. Uh-huh. So if you want me to come and speak to your schools or organizations, my blog, um, my book, information about my mission, it's all on my website at thegriefgirl.com. Okay. So you say in your book, and I so wholeheartedly agree as a mother of, you know, a teenager and a previous teenager, that the world is different for the teens of today. Why is that? And how does that affect anxiety and depression? Well, I think one of the main factors is technology. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the kids 24-7 are on technology, and they have access to things that we never had access to, some of it good, some some of it not so good. Uh But the really hard thing for kids is, let's say, you know, in my area in the last couple of weeks, there's been two suicides, Mm. uh, teen suicides from bullying. One was eight and one was ten. Oh, my goodness. And here's, it's just hard to even, even process. But here's part of the problem. At least for me, and I'll speak for myself because I, I know you guys are way younger. When I got home from school, I had a safe place at home. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wanted to continue to bully me, they had to call my house. Uh-huh. They had to call my landline, right? Right, right. And kids now, the bullying actually amps up after school because that's when the cyberbullying starts. Yes. And now everybody's out of school. 
And, you know, if, if you have low self-esteem and you can bully kids anonymously, uh-huh. that's attractive to a lot of teens. It is. And so what happens is they, can't, they don't have a safe place, and they are facing this bullying 24-7. Mm. And, you know, technology is, I hate to say it, but it's, a re- it's responsible for a lot of, of teen suicides because the bullying just doesn't stop. Wow. It's also, our youth now are, are pretty much the like generation. How many likes are you getting on Snapchat or Instagram? Right. Oh. And they compare themselves to their peers. And you know what? Nobody nobody posts your act, your accurate life. I mean, right, I don't. Everybody's so life looks all, perfect when you look right, on social look, media. You know, at least as, a, as adults, I know nobody's doing that, and their lives aren't that perfect. Right. But when you think of a kid... And their peers' lives seem perfect uh-huh. on social media. Right. That really does a number on their self-confidence. Yeah. And, and I, when their self-esteem is that low, you know, that's when things become really tragic. I remember being a teenager, and it was kind of hard to know if, if people approved of me or disapproved of me, except in the extreme cases, you know, one way or the other. But with social media likes and dislikes it's like it it makes it so much more evident and i'm sure that that's really hard to face as a child right and now your pop popularity you can measure it yes <laughs> and if you are getting you know thumbs down and 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 bad comments on your social media you start to feel like nobody likes you and when you're you're a teen your whole world and all that matters to you is what your peers think of you. Your mm-hmm, world is right. your school and your peers. Yep. And when you are getting rejected every minute of every day, you, you know, you, you don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And so how can we help teens? Well, I think one thing that would be really, really great is, number one, we have to take some of this pressure off of them. They have enough self-pressure you know, they want to please their parents. They want to get good grades. So they have that academic pressure because maybe their parents want them to get into a particular college. Uh-huh. You know, so the academic, the peer pressure, the self-pressure, uh, the parental pressure, that all needs to be dialed back so kids can actually have some time to actually be a kid and not have to live up to everybody's expectations of them. So if your kid doesn't have the grades and doesn't get into that Ivy League school, that's okay. You know, that's too much pressure for some kids. Mm-hmm. So first we've got to dial back the pressure that we're putting on our kids and also keep the lines of communication open. You know, a lot of parents are just so busy. Sometimes both parents are working in the household uh-huh. and they don't have time or, or to spend or to really know what's going on in their lives. And that's got to change too. Uh-huh. You know, our kids have to be a priority. Right. And that's true with the teachers at school. Yep. So if all of us know what to look for in our youth, what these warning signs and risk factors are, then we can all work together for our youth, for the mental health of our youth. Mm-hmm. So what happens if, say, a, a parent or a teacher is not picking up on the cues? What if it's a, a, a teenage friend who's seeing this? How can they help? Well, you know, and that's, that's part of why I wrote the book, too, because you may not have the warning signs of depression or suicidal ideation, but your best friend might have every, every single one of those warning signs. Mm-hmm. So for the teens, if they see it in their peers or their siblings or their parents or a loved one in their life, you know, it's great to be supportive and to listen and let that person know that you care. Mm-hmm. But the number one thing is, if they tell you, please don't tell anybody, I'm embarrassed, I feel shame, uh-huh. that's not the time to, to keep that promise. Yes. The number one thing that they need to do is to tell an adult that they trust. Mm-hmm. Let an adult handle the situation. Don't, tr- don't take that on yourself. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that there's more suicide these days and there's more awareness about, about young people committing suicide. Where's the hope right now, Christy? Well, you know what? It's an ongoing battle. And you're right. The teen suicide is at epidemic proportion. But that is why I'm so passionate about what I do. And that's why I'm passionate about writing the, that my book 
to get it into schools, to get it into the hands of parents, teachers, administrators, teens, Uh because this has to happen quickly. We all need to get on the same page and help each other because we don't have time to wait until it affects us personally. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, it did affect me personally, so I'm very passionate about it. But we all need to learn the signs and know what to do and be there for each other. And it needs to happen now because lives are being lost while we while we wait. So. I think about how, you know, it may be easier to pick up on depression and anxiety than it is to pick up on somebody's risk of suicide when they've experienced a trauma, say the breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, What makes that situation unique and how can we sort of pick up on the fact of whether or not somebody is suicidal in that situation? Well, for, for our youth, a traumatic life experience, if it's a breakup, if uh-huh. it's a divorce, a move, you know, all of those types of life-changing traumatic experiences can also result in teen suicide. Uh-huh. And I think it's just really important to be there. Let's say your daughter broke up with her boyfriend and you're thinking, oh, you know, you're so young, there'll be other boys out there, you uh-huh. know, you'll meet other people, it's not a big deal. Don't dismiss it. Because their little brains, when they're, you know, in high school or junior high, that prefrontal cortex, that front part of the brain, uh-huh. that's the last to develop. And it doesn't really develop till about age 25. And so, so why is that Why is that important, the prefrontal frontal cortex? Well, because that's the part where you, that's the part of your brain that's responsible for decision making okay. and impulse control. So when that's not developed and you have a relationship that's bro- broken off and you are absolutely devastated, a teen is more likely to act on impulse and not stop and think of the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think back to, at least, I, I mean, I can speak for me the stupid things I did in high school. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Right? Driving 90 miles an hour with no Uh seatbelts. I never thought about the the consequences of that. Right. You just did it, and you may think about it later. You may not. Mm -hmm. So because of the brain development in teens, we can't dismiss that it's not a big deal because major traumatic life events for kids are sometimes a cause of teens acting impulsively. Mm Mm-hmm. This is such important work, Christy. Um, again, I want to mention your website, thegriefgirl.com. That's T-H-E-G-R-E-F-G-I-R-L.com, thegriefgirl.com. And this book that um, sort of lays it out for how you can help teen, either a, if you're a teacher or a parent or a teen yourself who, you know, is experiencing something or seeing a friend's experience something. It's called Beneath the Surface. Um, Christy, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry for the loss that you faced, but I'm really inspired by what you're doing to share so that this doesn't happen to others. Thank you for doing that. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. And I really enjoyed doing this show, not just because of the wonderful conversations I get to have with people like Christy Hugstad but because it can affect your life in a positive way. So I want to thank you for joining us here today. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com, where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.